My name is Jack Oway. And I'm Jay Oway, welcoming you to another edition of Like Dragon, Like Sun. That's right, the only father-son podcast where we discuss all things D&D. The only father-son podcast in the world. That's right. There uh, are the only father and son in the world, frankly. Uh, probably. Uh, we play D&D, sometimes together, sometimes apart. Uh, two generations bringing all sorts of insights and fantabulous D&D knowledge mm-hmm. your way. And today, uh, we're talking about NPCs. Yeah. Quick NPCs on the fly, or before your big session, designing Look, a quick NPC. NPCs can be hard, right? Uh, yeah. How do you make them, how do you make it so your players want to interact with them? How do you right. make them interesting? And But they're like one of the biggest parts of being a DM. I think uh, we spend a lot of time thinking about world building thinking about a lot of time about how we manage the table um knowing the rules things like that but one of that the most you know one of the main pillars of this game is role play and while some of that may occur between the players very often role play occurs between npcs and pcs and if you're not ready for that to happen it can be a really tricky little piece of improv to do on the fly. Um, the, the big mistake sometimes is introducing a throwaway NPC. That must come back way later down the road. Well, you just like, you're sort of thinking, okay, well, whatever. They bump into, I don't know, like the bartender or whatever. And then you want you try too hard for the bartender. And you give him like the best voice and... And he's like all kind of amazing and like connects with the party really well. And suddenly you've got, you've got this character. Yeah. Who now the party's like, Hey, come on an adventure with us. And you don't really want that. Like some NPCs need to be really disposable and throw away. Um, and you almost need a voice that says I'm a nothing generic NPC so that the players kind of signaled on some levels that they're not, anything you know to be too worried about and then for the ones who are key to the story i sort of feel like those are the ones that get the attention or at least my attention um and i come up with voices and things like that Mm. yeah i mean i am not a master of voices i have a a limited range when it comes to how far i can go with that sort of stuff and so i'm sure that's a many a problem many dms face and so how do you I, create... I think he's going to think about the creature that you're playing. The throwaway. I mean, it's true. So I think the throwaway ones are just, you know, just your normal voice sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But then, all right, so your dragon voice. All right, be a dragon. <sighs> what are you doing in my lair? It's pretty easy just to sort of think, I'm a big dragon, I'm a hey, big dragon. And Get out of here. And then voila. Um... Okay, you're an orc, orc, black, orc blacksmith. Hmm. Hmm. He sounds just like your dragon. No, my dragon's like... Oh, I see. Mysterious. And then the, the blacksmith, orc blacksmith is like, 
Yo, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, I, I can't even do that. You you have more of a talent to voices than you think, I believe. I believe you are, are very gifted in getting that like good gruff voice. Well, I do other ones too, like you exactly. Know, you, yeah, um, you're, you're all of my great. all of my. Uh, I'm running Curse of Strahd, and that one like the Barovians have sort of a range of accents that I do, which I'm going to say in my mind. They're like Eastern European, Russian-y sort of-ish. Although I will admit they tend to drift a little. But that's okay. They all drift equally. And that's just what people sound like in Barovia. Hmm. Uh, that's the, the Barovian accent. Yeah, my Barovian. It mixes, sometimes it's got, it gets a little Italian and sometimes a little Scottish. I don't know why. Um, those kind of wander in there sometimes. Um, mm. I've got... Uh, I've got a warlock whose NPC or whose familiar is a sort of a, a pixie-like creature. Uh, we call her a dust duster. She's a sort of Barovian Shadowfell version of a pixie. Same thing as a pixie, basically, but without the polymorph. Um, she only speaks Sylvan. So when he has her like go off to like say things to the party or whatever she just goes over and says it in sylvan and whenever she's speaking in sylvan i try to because the player has got a genuine cockney british accent i try to do his familiar in the same sort of accent and so if i'm doing a sort of attempting my cockney british one they know that they can't understand what she's saying that they're just she's speaking in sylvan that's funny but quick, you need an NPC. Quick, okay. So quick NPCs happen, and they freak people and new DMs out a lot. Uh, it's it's one of those things I I hear a lot from new uh, new DMs. So what do you do? What do you well, do to make them more than just Joe Smo Schmo walking down the road? There are so many quick tables. In fact, there's one in the DM's guide. Yeah. Open up to page 89, and you'll find yourself in chapter four, creating non-player characters. There's a whole chapter dedicated to it. And right. if you're still, that still doesn't satisfy, you pick a cu- pick up a copy of Table Fables by Madeline Hale. I mean, we we have promoted that. Yeah, I love that book. Um, I, honestly, I like a great section for NPCs. I like her little bit for character quirks i mean almost that alone like if you kind of in your mind you sort of see the character like oh it's a it's a dwarf in a in a running a bar you're like hmm but he needs something a little bit else but again i'm I'm a bit of a throwaway character so i'm not going to work up a huge background for him i roll d100 pick a number from one to 100 at uh 36 and Okay, so the NPC is woefully in debt and must pay a large amount of gold each month. Okay, that's enough. That's plenty enough for me to get my head around who the this bar- person is. The bartender yeah. is like he's inflating prices and he's watering down drinks, and and that's about it. Like you know, he he makes sure the players are paying up front. He's trying to actually he's upselling them on everything. And the thing, if you I don't know about your players, my players are often woefully uh undereducated when it comes to how much do things cost in D world yeah i mean it's really again a whole abstract concept Every, what is money everybody's you know? like oh in uh you say uh yeah food and lodging for the night one gold piece <laughs> the players are like okay 
And Dwarf's like, yes. <laughs> like, I totally ripped them off. They paid 10 times what they needed. And there's a, more stuff in the DM. Or there's like a, it's on the, what's it called? It's even on the DM screen. On the DM screen, yeah. yeah. quick look up on that. Just Dwarf. like, uh, you know, this is worth one. Co- like, uh, well, that's maybe an important lesson for our, our listeners. What? How much does a dollar cost in in D&D land, in Faerun at least. I mean, you may have your own things going on, your own money systems, but in Barovia, I know it's Electrum, that's for sure. Uh, may, some people may even operate in base six. If you don't know what that is, go look it up. I, I'm quite fascinated with that idea. I like that quite a lot. So, but. yeah, you know, just quick quick education for everybody out there. Uh, a mug of ale, four copper pieces. A banquet per person would run you 10 gold pieces. But that's a banquet. A loaf of bread's only two copper. Hunk of cheese, one silver piece. So you're staying in a nice inn. Let's say you're going to go to a, it's a comfortable sort of inn, sort of that sort of level, comfortable, like a Motel 6. I don't know how comfortable Motel Best 6 Western. is. I mean, it gets you through the night, but. You know, eight silver pieces. Um, but you can have a poor room for just one silver piece. And if you're willing to sleep out in the barn, seven copper. <laughs> I mean, these are important things to know as a player and DM, I feel. Maybe even just investing in a DM screen or looking up a PDF of one online. I mean, it shows you a lot of simple prices, you know, of what things are worth. And then you can suddenly get stingy with your NPCs okay. or very lax. Well, okay, we keep. I keep coming back to, like... Your common surprise, I didn't really plan them, NPC is mm. your your tavern barkeep or something. Um, however, yeah, like, if your tavern in is going to be part of the game, like, if you sort of expected your players are going to stop somewhere, you could probably work out that place in advance a little bit. It's more likely if they're just exploring, they perhaps are just wandering a town or a city and they want to stop somebody in the street and ask them directions or something like that. It's at moments like that where you've got truly just random NPC that you're not planning for. Mm. Um, whereas almost like other ones, like I said, they don't have to have a lot more than what I just did. He's like a dwarf. He runs a thing. He's got lots of, of debts. Like, you know, you can give him one little facial tweak or something as well give them like something memorable like a, you know like a, a really you know broad flat nose or something or a, that's got a funny piercing in it or something like, i mean even in the dm like the the dmg it's one of the first things it says npc appearance roll a d20 and it gives sure. you a bunch of stuff like uh how if like are, are they wearing perhaps distinctive jewelry or earrings or necklaces yeah. or do, do they have formal clean clothes or missing fingers or tattoos or unusual skin color or balding you know yeah. there's there's lots of fun stuff in there nervous eye twitches <laughs> and all you need is a couple little things like that and boom you've got you an NPC, but you need a voice that usually mm. goes with that too it's true and i sort of feel that that's you're right maybe that's just something that i feel like i got i developed that from playing D D. like i don't think i had character voices like it's not something i practiced ever i mean if i practiced it it was only because i was, I was we were playing so much D as a kid that we were constantly doing voices mm. um especially if you dm you dm you have to you have way more voices as a player i like to try and get 
for each of my characters a really distinct voice for them. And because you're playing them all the time, it's it's pretty, it's easier to get deeper into that uh, that character's voice. But I sort of feel with NPCs, you still need a, a quick idea for it. But I like to go against tropes as well. Like I wouldn't do, I don't do Scottish voices for dwarves. Yeah, I think it's just overdone. And I don't do little weenie for goblins. Why not do a hey for a goblin or something? You know, it's <laughs> a little bit more rotund, rotund perhaps. Sure. Uh, I love the idea of the the halfling woman with the really, yeah, what do you want? Yeah, get out of my bar. Yeah. Get out of my tavern. Yeah. I think also considering maybe race. she's a blacksmith in town. You know, so as a big away. part of. How can I help you today, boys? Consider perhaps using a very unusual race. Maybe it's a lizard folk who's very like, like yeah. hunter, gatherer about social exchanges and doesn't quite understand the whole thing the- of it. Yeah, like the having sort of like a a lispy sort of um, like sound for for like a snake sound for lizard folk is the obvious sort of way that I think a lot of us go. But you could break that into something else as well. Absolutely, like you could, I like that lizard folk are a little sometimes alien in their thinking of things. Mm, and exactly, yeah. And so it's sort of again with that one, I tend to like think of. Um, like movie characters or things that have had like where characters have a hard time understanding sometimes culturally what the thing is. So again, giving them an, an accent where they sort of, you know, like, Oh, so you, you don't eat, you don't eat meat. I don't understand. But, uh, so, okay. You, so you don't eat, uh, so you don't eat the beef and you don't eat the chicken. You don't eat the pork. Um, it's okay. No problem. Or imagine like how, I, a, I how cook, a certain creature you, would sell something. I cook you, you know? lamb. You will be fine. <laughs> like a, a lizard folk may not give you a prepared meal, perhaps at their, their tavern, all nicely done and garnished, but just hand you the whole like chicken carcass it's like of course you should know how to carve a chicken yeah they bring it in like <laughs> i can't if you don't know how to carve a chicken i can't help you sir live like that. if you can't look it in the eyes and kill it then i have no respect for you sort of or just like you, you can't understand why you, you don't want to kill it yourself yeah yeah you, you sure you don't want to kill it yourself and pluck it like that's kind of the best part yeah you get to keep the feathers i'm giving you a better deal here so yeah, so it's more sometimes than just the voice as well. It's about trying to get that attitude. And I think for me right now, that's something I've been working on a lot with my Curse of Strahd NPCs. Um, in it, there's a couple of of sort of major ones, one uh, named Esmeralda. She's a sort of Vistani uh, monster. Vampire hunter? Mon- yeah, she's a bit of a vampire hunter. Um, monster hunter. Uh, she's... Uh, Lost a leg in in battle previously. She's a bit of a spellcaster. She's she's kind of pretty cool, actually. But you know, how am I gonna? How was I gonna do her? How am I gonna make her kind of stand out to the characters? How am I gonna sort of make her something that you know becomes uh, someone that they they like, um, but not right away. Like right away, she comes off as a little bit distrustful and gruff and. Uh, and schooling them a little bit. Um, she definitely, she's been around and she doesn't suffer fools very much. And so I guess I get those attitudes in my mind, like who is she and how is she going to like, how would she feel about like suddenly waking up and finding this, you know, band of goofballs 
Mm. It suddenly sort of, you know, crashed the place. And even if they had healed her back up, and that's why she's alive, she's sort of still, you know, she's been around long enough that she doesn't trust anybody in Barovia. She immediately thinks they're Strahd spies and, you mm. know, is going to make them. And so that's what they did. They spent the first, you know, the half hour of the game or whatever just negotiating with her that they weren't <laughs> they weren't bad people mm, i think another approach is also thinking like ability wise looking at the core things that's another thing listed here like sure you know they perhaps have a piercing but are they strong uh, are they dexterous like are they sure. hardy healthy are they uh studious or learned or inquisitive you know are they yeah. spiritual or perceptive and you know? this this goes uh this changes if you again if you're running a module or if you're running an adventure published adventure of some sort many of your NPCs are going to have stat blocks. Mm. So it's going to lay out exactly how strong and weak they are, what their equipment is, how they use it. Um, well, how they use it still, that's largely up to you. And as a DM, I think you've got to take it on as if you're thinking, okay, if I was uh, playing in the game, if I was a player, and this is my character, like you have to get into some of the major NPC roles. Like you really have to think... How would I play her? How would I, if she was my character in, in the game, what kind of flourishy moves would I do with her weapon? What kind of attack strategy would I have going into fights? Um, what's my leadership style? What's my cooperation style with other people? Like, how do I, how do all of those things work? And those are for much bigger NPCs, but even things on the fly, you know, there's a, a little goblin on its pony riding down the street you know and you roll a, a d20 and you see oh it's they're exceptionally beautiful for a goblin sure strikes you as strange yeah if you put a goblin on a pony running on the street like the first thing that went through my mind is i wonder where he's going like players are going to ask you the dumbest questions like mm -hmm. so where are you going and your your goblin now has got now has got like he's got an urgent appointment of some sort yeah um you're like oh god where am I going to go? Where are they going? And he's like, and you got to be very careful at this point not to introduce like a whole nother story. And then what you do is you perhaps flip to the NPC bonds table on oh, yeah. page one, if, uh, or sorry, 91. If on you can, four if you can DMT. know like their ideals and bonds. Or just even that. No, but even just take a simplified idea. You roll a D20 and it says, oh, or a D10 and you roll a four. Loyal to a benefactor, patron or employer. Oh, I'm late to work. Yeah, there you go. Boom. Or even other, I think most of them work no, there. Where do you, you work? Know? Out for revenge. I'm where do you doing work? whatever. I work at a bank. Oh, where do you work? I ch 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 roll a, I don't know, something here. Uh, talent. Bank. I'm an expert cook. Boom. They're a chef. A beautiful goblin chef on their way to work on their pony that you've just rolled up. Yeah. And that way you can get a quick, like, oh, NPC on the fly. I mean, that might not have what you originally intended. You may have an idea in mind for what you want them to look like, but suddenly that shapeless, faceless, yeah. well, it becomes mindless creature has become and a living being. And and since the role play component of this game is a major pillar, by whipping up really quick NPCs that are a little bit more colorful that it, you can see in your own mind, and then you can think of as soon as you sort of see them or feel them, like the voice should probably come a little bit easier, and or like I said, or if you're thinking I can't do another goblin voice that. I, I'll go to go a different direction with it. Fine, but at least you're making a choice for that character. Now, again, my biggest my biggest caveat here is be careful. Be careful if they're a throwaway NPC, not to make them too 
special <laughs> or learn to suck it up and like <laughs> invest in all your throw npcs make your all your throw npcs into meaningful npcs sure. so i i play in a game where the party always have a list of names as well as a party we've started to or started we have since the beginning of the game been collecting npcs and and it kind of makes sense in game given that you know the king is dead and we're trying to put together a uh sort of a Robin Hood-esque band of rebels to have quite a few. But um, but it is really one of those things that, you know, do yourself a favor as a DM. Don't attach tons of NPCs to the party. They're okay if they're there for a while, but have them do side missions or sit back for a bit or somehow plan to meet, re- regroup with the party somewhere. Dragging them through every especially if you start adding one, two, three of them into it, you drag those NPCs into a battle. That combat becomes twice as combat. It's going to go the time it takes for an actual player to, to have a around. turn. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to have essentially what happens is your player has a turn. Then uh, a NPC has a turn. Then a monster has a turn. Then the other NPC has a turn. And then your next player has it. And so what you've been doing for the past five minutes is describing what you're doing. You're a DM waiting, that's like, basically playing, waiting. playing exactly. D&D by yourself. And I don't think there's a problem with a DM having one NPC that's sits a background role, doesn't make key decisions. No but offers information when necessary, has perhaps contacts or a special connection to what's happening in the story and may help in combat in very like like tiny ways. Like yeah. they take the help action on their low, turn. Low-level you know? NPC, background-level NPCs who aren't major fighters, who again, yeah, they duck and take, take or cover. Exactly, like, yeah. they, can, they can be kidnapped. They can create extra level of conflict or threat in that. Mm. There's things like that that, yeah, you can use them as part of the storytelling. And I think that's a lot of fun or minor healing, you know, like, yeah. Oh, just like know exactly what you're like the go-to, like you said earlier is what would this character do? Like, Oh, what they do on their turn is they cast sanctuary on this person in the party. And then they spend their, like the rest of their turns helping or dodging or doing whatever. Like they're not going to be big whaler attackers, killers. They're not going to be complex. Like, Oh, they cast so-and-so spell. And then as their bonus action, yeah. they do well, this, you know, it's going to be, that's a little bit of the problem in curse of Strahd is you, you do have actually come across very mighty NPCs. Um, they're designed to sort of be there as potential allies for you to fight, you know, to fight alongside um, when you take on Strahd. And the trick is to not, is to, yeah, have them, have them somehow meet up with the party when they get to, when they get to the castle but don't have them there for every other interaction. It's uh, It just becomes too much to deal with. Absolutely. But also then a point of keeping names, I think, is a very big thing. Just uh, have yeah. the classic Matt Mercer technique. Have a list of just in like names, any possible, like, oh, okay, just make spend like maybe even five or ten minutes just rolling again and again and again and again and again on Use, fantasy name generator. Yeah, definitely. Until you have a list of very cool names. Last names you don't even need. You just need first names. I do both, actually. So I, I've got... Um, like in the Curse of Strahd one, I've actually got a number of different lists. So I've got ones, names that are Vistani names. Mm. Well, well, that's a good point. If there's and, a big group of people, like a specific so race, they've I don't got, think they've got a like slightly different, and, and again, these are all ones I found on online and I've randomly generated, uh, I've got, I've always a list of about 10 or 12 female names, 10 or 12 male names, and then, uh, uh, 
about a dozen or so last names as well. And then I've got Barovian villager names. And then I've got sort of upper class sort of names. And I've got, um, you know, maybe you're right, people who wouldn't even have a last name street urchin type names. And, um, and then I've got ones for, you know, druids in the wood and Barovian witches and sort of all sorts. Um, and I think that, I think it's also important that you try to make sure your names don't aren't too easily to confuse. They sound generally different. And, uh, and I've, I, there's been times where I forget them as well. So you do have to make sure you're always <laughs> writing them down. So if you come up with a new one on the fly, cross it off your list and then make a note of what they, where they are, where do they live, and any of these other quick little attributes. Or just like even like, yeah, a quick thing. Like anything the player asks, write it back down. You know, just like, okay. Uh, I guess they're a chef, a beautiful goblin chef on their pony on their way to work, you know. Now I have that written down. It's the next time they encounter them. Uh, the plot thickens, you know, or do whatever, or even preconceive them to fit into your narrative. Like think, okay, I'm just roll on these tables quickly before you start your session. Yeah. And the goblin they run into, now you've already prepared. Yeah, so it fits that, into where like your story's step, going. Step more than just doing names say okay i'm gonna have i'm gonna do myself a favor and no, i'm gonna write the whole thing right now yeah like you don't have to do that many five just even one just an npc you know your players will say, encounter yeah, like four or four or five well yeah if you know where they are in the story you prep all of those but then maybe just have four or five Ready randomly generated yeah. i don't even know where they where they're going to go in this story or what's going on but i've rolled on these tables i've come up with these characters and they've got names and a little motivation and that's that's enough so anytime i need to throw one in boom i'm ready to go yeah. and it's it's this seems like this seems like one of the ones that as dms it's easy to overlook right it's it doesn't seem as it seems like icing on the cake or one of those last step sort of things but i don't i disagree i think this is as big and as important as planning your your fights of drawing your maps, um, of sort of crafting the bigger story. This, uh, you know, the NPCs are a major part of making D&D fun. Yeah, absolutely. And then once your players get to know them a little bit more, maybe they're traveling with this NPC now and they're slowly starting to ask him more questions or learn more about it, consider then rolling on things like flaws and secrets or developing their bonds a little bit mm. more clearly or even defining what their ideals are or even like small mannerisms or talents that they may have. If you do a voice for them, also I've got another tip. If you are doing a voice, sometimes there's like a phrase for that one character that if I, if I just write that phrase down, I can get the accent back quite quickly. And I think that sometimes, uh, for me, is a really great way to sort of jump back in. But, you know, there's some more mechanics um, while we're talking about NPCs here. Yeah. If you flip to the Yeah, the, in the DMG. DM's Guide, which are are actually, they're optional, but I think they can be quite... Interesting. Yeah, One thing I do want to touch fun. on, though, is you could have a monster NPC. It's possible, yeah. If they have a good intelligence or capacity to you know, work for the party or ha be interact with the party in some way, then they could be very interesting, like to have a... Beholder. Well, that's a little too powerful, but something a little bit... <laughs> maybe a gazer, even, no, who's been tasked maybe, with... Maybe down the list a little bit further, even. What, oh, what's that one? The spectator? I think we need to get away from beholder, Ken. 
No, we're going. We're, we're following this. So there's a major wizard, Grand Arc Wizard, <laughs> who's employed a spectator to to keep eye on this magic item. Or four. No, just one. Yeah, the three can just look at other things. Yeah, the other three. There's other things that they do in the in the castle or tower or whatever. But this one is specifically this artifact. It's a very powerful artifact that it needs to be defended. You know, and so it's being transported from one tower to the other because it's too powerful. It can't be teleported or whatever reason. You know, and so. The, the spectator is sent with the party because it's going to keep track of them and it's like it'll disappear if it's not defending it, you know, or go crazy or be free or whatever, right? And so it needs to follow the party for that specific reason. I mean, that's just one example that I think of like my mind runs to and thinking about what's the spectator's duty. You know, how could that tie into, how could I then make a monster a part of the party? And then they learn a little bit about how that creature operates, perhaps, you know, in the future. And then they eventually, down the road, they fight a spectator or a gazer or whatever, something along those lines. Like, oh, when we were talking or when we were fighting with that thing, it was really weak to so-and-so. And maybe you make an enemy that specifically deals damage that that spectator is weak to. And so the party goes, oh, okay, or so, whatever, you know, and just try and get them. Th- I mean, they probably forget it completely, but that's besides the point. It's about thinking about how you can set up little things there to introduce unique characters that your players can bounce off of that, that don't need to be humanoid in nature. That could even be like maybe a, a doppelganger that messes with the party by like turning into other one of them while they're like split up and like tricking them and doing certain things like that. And they're like, what? And they didn't even know that there was a seventh member in the party. <laughs> yeah. I always like having the extra party member suddenly show up and you're like, wait a sec, where did they come from? Um, but in terms of specific optional rules and variant right. rules in the DM, G loyalty. Yeah, this is I like this idea a lot, especially if you've got, um, if you've got somebody who say maybe got a knight background, or something like that, a wealthy background where they've got retainers or servants, maybe a bit more. Um, I think lo- this could be a very interesting idea. Yeah. Lo- the loyalty mechanic is is like a score from one to twenty. Mm. It's it's got a maximum loyalty score equal to uh, the highest charisma score among all the adventurers in the party, and its starting loyalty score is half that number. And so you meet an NPC, and it may be sticking with the party, and you may want to employ this rule. Say your party has a warlock with a charisma of 18, right? So it's going to have a maximum potential AC of 18, or not AC, um, loyalty, points. loyalty points of it 18. Starts at nine. And it starts at 9. But what does that mean? Uh, and, also, and also if players lead the group that may adjust tracking loyalty keep tracking NPC's loyalty score in secret so that the players won't know for sure whether the NPC party member is loyal or disloyal even if the NPC is currently under the, a player's control such as through like mind control or whatever you know or a retainer of some sort um, an NPC's loyalty score increases by 1d4 if an, another party member help the NPC uh, achieve a goal tied to its bond, which we may have ruled earlier. Uh, Getting to work. <laughs> exactly. Uh, likewise, an M- or maybe it's horse, ho- it's little pony's hoof is hurt. And oh. so they help heal the pony's hoof. They like make a new horseshoe for it. Exactly. The artificer makes a new horseshoe for this little horseshoe of speed. And then. Uh, likewise, an NPC's loyalty score increases by 1d4 if the NPC is treated particularly well. For example, given a magic weapon as a gift, or rescued by another party member. 
An NPC's loyalty score can never be raised above its maximum, of course. When other party members act in a manner that runs counter to the NPC's alignment or bond, reduce its loyalty score by 1d4. Reduce the NPC's loyalty score by 2d4 if the uh, character is abused, <laughs> misled, or endangered by other party members for purely selfish reasons, which might happen more often than you think, knowing D&D players. Yeah, sure, walk over that rickety bridge. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> lay, lay down across the puddle so that I don't get my feet wet. <laughs> exactly. Uh, an NPC whose loyalty score drops below zero is no longer loyal to the party and might part ways with them. Or rat you out to the local exactly. vampire count. Especially if you're, yeah, if you're a, a threat and suddenly he, they may even like pretend to be buddy-buddy with you to work in, and he even says here, uh, a disloyal NPC either leaves the party attacking characters who attempt to intervene or works in secret at <laughs> to bring about the party's downfall. And that could now arise rivals, yeah. uh, which it, we, we could talk about in another episode, looking at Xanathar's Guide. But uh, an NPC with a loyalty score of 10 or higher risks life and limb to help fellow party members. If the NPC's loyalty score is between 1 and 10, its loyalty is tenuous. Tenuous? Tenuous. Uh, and Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I love this handy. idea. That I, I love that idea. Somehow that the little... party's like, just thinks it can get away with abusing this character. And then you just have this whole thing set up so beautifully where they're suddenly like, but you've betrayed us. And then just ha- like go into this like tirade, just in character, just like rant about, they, you're the worst boss ever. There was this time. And just like list yeah. every bad thing and they've ever done. And always make notes when a, and, a party member does something and awful. And then just like, and just like totally like, lose it like a disgruntled employee of the of the year and like just like i hate you guys so very very much exactly and now that you're locked up in the dungeon i'm out of here i hope to never see you again or maybe it's like they just up and leave during the morning taking like all their magic items and like equipment that they've like entrusted with it you know like like, the robot they like like, hired or whatever all super drunk and yeah we'll have one big celebration well done we killed the dragon and like takes the entire horde with it and just runs off and they wake up and like hey where's all our stuff yeah yeah and that is D D. that's what makes this game fun yeah that stuff that is sort of happens the glue in between mm. the big bricks of the plot little characters points. that make you like remember things like sure yeah you'll remember that time you rolled a nat 20 on that creature and killed it in one fell swoop but you'll also remember that time where the your party members talked to that crazy beautiful goblin npc on their way to work as a chef on their pony and they healed its little hoof and gave it a new brand new horseshoe of speed and suddenly went dashing off into the crowd and and then later when they got then, back to the inn they realized yeah. that the the chef at the inn is the goblin boom and they're getting free lodging and then even like months later the artificer is getting love letters from this goblin girl <laughs> or boy. cities away or boy yeah exactly i think that's enough for today is that our take on npcs our take on npcs or here how about this bonus content all right quick Contacts. Contacts. Contacts are NPCs with close ties to one or more of the player characters. So maybe from your background, this yeah. could be a parent. I do this that could with be my players a mentor. I think sure. this is a great idea. Even going in before you start the campaign, talking with your players to create a contact. It makes the game really the game good. Um, I mean, it doesn't work for everyone, but no, it's but it, be a it lot does. Of fun. It does launch your game typically if they have contacts that you give them, because then, and you can always use those as plot points later on, especially if you're homebrewing the whole thing. 
uh, contacts are absolutely fantastic. Yeah, a contact uh, for beginning adventures and characters are likely to secure more helpful contacts over the course of their adventuring careers. So they may make more friends along the way, but these are like close NPCs. And some people have in their background, like the criminal background, you have this ability to contact the the criminal boss over great distances. So Mm. um, you should know who that is. And, And think about how it impacts your background as well. I mean, I may... As a DM going forth, like think about, all right, so you're picking a hermit background. Maybe this is someone from your hermitage or monastery, if they're like a monk hermit type thing. Or if they're more of a solitary inventor, perhaps it was a, a person who brought them like food out in the wilderness for or whatever, you know, or person they like ran into, like a traveler that they, they'd meet up with like sporadically across their travels or whatever, you know. Uh, it also says here, a name uh, and a few choice details are all you need for casual contacts, which we've been saying this whole episode. But take time to flesh out a recurring contact, especially one who might become an ally or enemy at some point. So may not even be a friend. Uh, at the very least, give some thought to a contact's goals and how those goals are likely to come into play. You know, like, it could be, like, very well be a villain. There's a big section here that will, it's just like many things like, all right, what's their scheme? You know, and you're like, oh, do they want to uh, create mayhem in the world? Roll a d6. Um, like, say you roll a three. They want to sp- spread a vile contagion. You know, and so perhaps there's like someone following the cackle fever of, of death and disease. You know, that three uh, blood drop, like religious symbol, and like be a religion check. Hmm, you don't quite know what it is or <laughs> whatever, you know. And they're like engineering this great poison. Uh, perhaps with the help of a player, perhaps you have a uh, an assassin rogue who's this person has worked with in the poor like before. Maybe it's like a um, they're known for being great and sort of like poison makers. And maybe the party's even like contacted them to like engineer poisons for them for specific missions, you know. And down the line, they're slowly starting to realize that this this spreading plague is being created by this master poison maker, you know, or something like that. And that's how a quick way to get even uh, an idea for like what is their what are their villainous intents how are they going to do it you know um and then you, you can use your brain from that point to like push that wheel a little bit further and just that even that start can really like build a whole story or arc for your campaign uh then there's patrons and i think they're going to touch a little bit more on this right in... because ebron's got group exactly. patrons and i think the new guy that's coming out this fall mm. Tasha's cauldron of everything. Cauldron I think it really should have been like group patrons. It should have been more cauldron of something else. They already did an of everything. It doesn't quite feel right. I don't know. It needs a different name. A bunch of stuff. Cauldrons. Okay. Tasha's bunch of stuff. Ta- Tasha's cauldron of stuff. <laughs> it's a perfect name. Uh, a patron is a contact who employs adventurers, providing help or rewards as well as quests and adventure hooks. And this is a great one if you know your party. Essentially, you know, once you get together each week, go on what are basically a series of of one shots. And basically, yeah, having this recurring boss that they keep coming back to and like with little pieces after each adventure, they're like, yeah, we went and we got that thing for you and we brought it back. And then they start to realize that each of these pieces is adding up to something. But it's sort of a fun way to like have like them just basically like, here's the mission here's what you need to go and do without a lot of like this mission will self-destruct in five seconds kind of right so the party's like cool with the fact that you know these things are basically just handed out each week what they need to go do uh i play an eberron campaign that's a lot like that frankly and it's great 
you know, we hop on the sky torch, our flying ship, and we head off and discover things and bit by bit putting together a bigger puzzle. And mm. and sometimes, you know, those those games, you know, the, the missions run more than one session so that, you know, it goes on for a while. But typically we then loop back around to to visit the our main, patron exactly. and uh, or our contacts and then off we go again. Yeah. A patron might be a retired adventurer who seeks younger heroes to deal with rising threats or a mayor who knows that the town guard can't handle a dragon demanding tribute. A sheriff becomes a patron by offering a bounty for kobold raiders terrorizing the local countryside as does a noble who wants an abandoned estate cleared of monsters. And this of course then could once they work for this patron they learn something at the destination they're sent to, which makes them, them suspicious of their patron. And when they return, they realize, perhaps more and more as each mission continues, that their patron is the real villain. And then it twists from someone giving them money or favors or magic items or purpose or whatever to now the person they must destroy or defeat or take out in whatever capacity. You know? Yeah, which is good fun. And they can then also learn a little bit about what their villain's plans are through the missions they receive. You know, they can be a little bit cryptic and ultimately realize that there's a, a, a deeper narrative at play. I think the, there's a great Kenku video, I think his last video on his YouTube channel about that is a great narrative piece that sort of demonstrates what that could look like as well. Mm. I think uh, we're going to leave NPCs there for this week. I hope this has helped you as a DM come up with a little bit more confidence thinking, oh yeah, okay, the resources are there, they're in the DM's guide, a little bit more thought and attention to them, a little bit of prep work, roll some dice, come up some voices, uh, you're going to be great. Mm. Give your party give your party some memorable NPCs. And always remember, on page 95 of the DMG, there is a table called uh, Torture. What? It's a D6. How do you want to torture someone? Ugh, I'm not a big fan of torture in the game. I'm also not a big fan of a, as a DM of having to have a conversation between two NPCs. <sighs> That's a whole nother discussion. Honestly, folks, do yourself a favor. Try to keep those to a minimum. Try to have one NPC talking to one PC or two PCs talking amongst themselves or whatever, but try to not have to play two sides of a conversation unless it's two characters chiming in and switching back and forth as they tell a story to the players mm-hmm. that would be my best way to say to, to sort of do it but don't do conflict or argument yeah i don't two. think like have dialogue i think it's a bad idea i think even like oh you see she begins talking to the 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 yeah, lord just do it and um, they're they're they begin to they, it's a heated argument between the two exactly you know? don't do it out of character do it as sure. the dm third god yeah. third perspective describing what the argument yeah. looks like to the players rather than what's being said but a creature oh okay so and you see them talking about the uh, the topic of blah 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 is brought up and the players then interject yeah. you know or listen in and then like you have a specific like i think what you're doing to those people is outrageous sir you know and exactly then like, give right, them a taste of flavor and character and then and then that's it and that's and that's where you just need to know their motivation what they want what their bonds are, ideals, things like that. And it helps you then come up with like those lines of dialogue. Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, Roll up yourself an NPC and by next episode, present it to us. Meanwhile, hold it up to, the, hold it up to your phone or your I've earphones. Got, whatever you're, I've got a date with yeah. a, a goblin and a pony. <laughs> 
we're having. I've heard she's a master chef. <laughs> Making me some dudes. Dinner time. All right, everybody. See you later. Bye. Bye.